0: Welcome to the motoring podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode five hundred and twenty-two on Tuesday, the twenty-fifth of April, twenty twenty-three. Hello, I'm Alan, uh, and I'm all alone once again this week, I'm afraid. Um, uh, I, I, Andrew's still not completely there. I mean, he's, 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 yeah, he's, he's getting there. He just can't actually speak yet. Um. So yeah, so he's not, he's not able to join me today. Uh, Never mind, though. Uh, As ever, I'm filling because I forgot to fill in the menu uh, part. This is a terrible thing whenever you divide up tasks between two of you and one of you is not here. Um, uh, The one that doesn't do that task normally kind of forgets until the very last second. Anyway, we'll be talking about three different things and some other stuff uh, this week. So let's start off. There's no follow-up. It's straight into new news. And as some of you might have noticed, pretty much as soon as I finished recording last week, um Jaguar Land Rover uh, had a big announcement, and it's kind of, I still haven't really worked out what the announcement was about. I suppose really it was just to tell people that Jaguar isn't quite dead yet, but, um, but those, that's not what the big, uh, that's, what, that's not what the big takeaway for everyone was. The big takeaway was this strangest, strangest thing. Um, Jaguar Land Rover declared that it was rebranding as JLR in a company image shift, uh, and that it was going to market its car, cars under four brand umbrellas, Range Rover, Def- Discovery, Defender, and Jaguar. And you'll notice from all of that that the words Land Rover uh, were, were missed out, and um, this caused much panic and anxiety uh, on the on the internet uh the up until the point where some people from J, from jlr uh clarified it uh, and pointed out that, that really it was you know when asked what's going to change really the outcome was not much um the announcement um the announcement marked marked jlr as a house of brands um with you know with the four brands i've just been through um uh, as t- underneath that but in reality the showrooms are going to be you know jaguar and land rover showrooms uh the if you want to look for these cars you will go to land rover.com or .co.uk or whatever the appropriate local flavor is it seems like an internal brand treatment uh um, memo which seems to have been circulated to the world and and as a result misunderstood really those of us who want to buy stuff it doesn't matter. It's another one of these times. I think um, Professor Sir Jerry McGovern seems to want to make it like a the brand house, uh, like LVMA, so Louis Vuitton or Hennessy. Um, and he seems to be getting confused between handbags and cars again. Um, JLR, Jaguar Land Rover, whatever it's called this week, whatever branding it's branding it's, its house as uh, this week, is really all about building cars. Uh, and selling cars and and sometimes i do think that that gets lost i'm not even going to go into the four words of nissness uh, that that were, were rolled out to talk about jaguar styling and design in the future and i'm not even going to talk about it. ceo adrian mardell said the the place that the jaguar wanted to be was was the jaguar of 32 years ago um which just seems surreal so it was a very strange announcement. I really doubt whether or not it should ever have have taken place, to be perfectly honest. I guess maybe somebody had to say something as nothing had really been said for a while. Very, very strange. So I'm going to go on before move on before I offend uh, anyone else. But yeah, yeah, there we go. Meanwhile, in the vicinity of Gaydon uh, and uh, Royal Leamington Spa, uh, former Ford boss Stephen Armstrong uh, is rejoining Aston Martin. Stephen was previously a Ford of Europe chairman. Uh, when he retired from that um, at the end of last year, he worked with uh, he's worked with a, a number of different uh, different companies across different industries. Uh, sharing some of his experience. I mean, he, he within four detailed senior positions in Africa, China, Europe, India, the Middle East, North America, and South America. Um, he was chief operating officer at Volvo when it was sold to Geely. Um, so he's been around. He's seen a lot. He's had an awful lot of experience. Uh, so he's back as a part-time consultant at Aston Martin, joining uh, Amadeo Felisa um, at uh, their former Ferrari boss, of course. Uh, so... Yeah, um, interesting one. Uh, Aston Martin it's worth mentioning. Uh, you know, they issued additional stock and all sorts of things. At one point, the share price was as low as ninety pence. It's now up to two hundred and thirty-five pence um, per share. So, so yes, investors seem to think that um, seem to think that that the Aston Martin has has a good future right at the minute, uh, and it's nice to. It's still not great numbers per share. Um, but it's much, much better than it was, and it hope and I hope that the current uh, the the current team is 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 resteadying the ship. It got rocked pretty heavily for a little while there, um, but it does seem to be to be steadying out. Um, so yeah, I, I hope that that comes through. That shows in cars. That shows in volumes. That shows in sales, uh, because that's a good thing. Uh, next up in British, great big inverted commas around that car news, uh, Ineos. They are looking to expand. they have actually selected Magna uh, to build this, a small electric four-wheel drive from 2026. Uh, working with with them, with Magna Steer, uh, to to develop uh, and obviously to, to build to start with, at least to start with, um, a smaller vehicle uh, than the Grenadier. So let's see what happens. It would be really nice and really interesting if it, if it moves away from that sort of defenderness. ness uh, and actually you know you, you see Enios try to try to actually actually develop their own style with their second model and hopefully learn from some of the some of the challenges i think that they came out with some of those uh, production stroke very late prototype uh grenadiers that people that people drove recently the auto car story uh, which we linked in the show notes is illustrated by a really quite good photoshop of of a short wheelbase uh grenadier but i i don't know if that... I hope that that's not what they do. I hope they do something more innovative. Um, oh, did I mention electric? I can't remember. I should have said uh, it will be a small electric, uh, uh, electric off-roader uh, as well. So That will be interesting to see what they do there. I really hope, as I said, they move away from that. Let's copy the Defenderness, which admittedly was the reason for, for Ineos Automotive's... Um, uh, I was going to say initiation, that's not the right word. Founding, I suppose. Uh, really, for their founding. Lots and lots of British car news actually today. Uh, this time, uh, Aston Martin and McLaren are going to be forced to sell electric cars in the US, uh, says Autocar. Uh, strict new emission rules mean low volume car makers can no longer benefit from higher CO2 allowances. So the, what's actually going to happen here is the U.S. government is going to end the special dispensations it has for low-volume car manufacturers. Because right at the minute, they have uh, very high targets for, 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 for CO2. It's something that they shouldn't ever really have, have much challenge actually making. Um, but instead of that, that's going to disappear. And so that they're going to have to sell electric cars as part of proposals here to slash vehicle emissions. Um, that loophole has been good for Aston Martin, for Lotus, for McLaren, amongst others. They can sell higher emitting cars on average than volume makers. Now, that, that's, yeah, that's that's true. But they still have the same vehicles still have to, or pretty much the same vehicle, still have to meet uh, meet other standards around the world. So I, I don't know that that opens up an awful lot. This push means that these manufacturers will have to sell on average two-thirds of EVs. By 2032, uh, which is when this when this uh, small volume manufacturers um, agreement comes comes to an end uh, when it's phased out, that doesn't seem very hard, really, does it? I especially given that see one in the UK they're not expected to have the same dispensations as um, as in Europe uh, right at the moment. Um, so we'll see just what happens. I mean, the market uh, in the US is very, very high uh, for pretty much all of these vehicles. So really, you you know, compared to other places, I mean, I'm not saying it's 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 like Toyota or Subaru or something, um, but it's it's quite high for, for for compared to other countries. So let's just see what happens uh, there. I mean. Many of these companies will be developing electric vehicles anyway. I mean, uh, Lotus, for example, uh, with the with the I never get the name right, the Electra um, is already well on the way. It's unveiled. It's 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 been it's been launched. I have not seen one on the road yet, um, but I, I think they're starting to 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 get out there. Aston Martin and Ferrari are saying they'll launch EVs in twenty twenty five. McLaren haven't said anything yet. Is there the chance that we could have a new Signet style setup where a vehicle from another brand is is uh, is rebadged uh, and rebranded uh, as one of these uh, supercar companies just to 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 keep people happy? Well, possibly. Um, but on the other hand, if they're meant to be selling two thirds EVs, uh, it's going to have to be a stronger offering, I think, uh, than that. Um, but that said, it's not it's not impossible. I, I I suppose. I mean, they just have to be a little bit clever about how they do it. Yeah, we'll we'll have to wait wait and see. But you know, the date for this is much further out than uh, than others, uh, than than other countries. So so some of this stuff may well already have come into force before. Manufacturers need to roll it out uh, for the USA. So a story in the Guardian last week about the ULEZ uh, and the challenge that it is causing for drivers of foreign registered vehicles particularly if it's a higher car or if it's a lease vehicle um it, it it's become an issue so if you take the if you uh, drive a vehicle into the u layers, then if it's an older more polluting vehicle you have to pay to 12 pounds 50 a day uh, or you face a fine of 180 pounds that's halved if you pay within 14 days But vehicles that are UK registered don't have to enrol separately. It turns out if you're driving a non UK registered vehicle, even if it's compliant with the ULEs, you have to register it individually. You have to add it to the list, Uh, and if you haven't done that, you will still get fined uh, as if you're uh, a more polluting vehicle, and you'll still get the 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 punishment, and you'll etc etc etc. Where this really becomes a challenge is where vehicles are incorrectly, they're unregistered, and then they're incorrectly identified as um, as older heavy diesel vehicles, and those can end up with fines of 500 to 2,000 pounds a day depending on weight, and will rise if they're not paid within 28 days. So if you're driving a vehicle which is less compliant but not registered in the UK, there is always that risk that it will the cameras will magically uh, will, will magically misassign it. Not so bad when it's registered to you, when it's registered to a higher company or something, it can take some time for the fines to get back to you. Um, the you know Because then it will go to the higher company, who will then forward it on, who will forward it on to you, and that can take weeks and weeks and weeks. Uh, all of that time you'll be paying punishment Charges the fines will be going up. There will be extra levies on top of it. Um, you know, non payment charges and stuff, and that's what left a chap called Christian Ducati um driving a French registered hire car that was Ulez compliant uh in London for five days, and as a result, he ended up with uh, with a fine for. Three thousand five hundred and ninety-eight pounds in the first place, uh, and then three further ti- three th- further fines for seven thousand three hundred seventy-one pounds and four pence. It's about eleven thousand pounds of fines because by the time they actually got to them, then uh, got to him, it was outside the twenty-eight days appeals deadline just ridiculous uh tfl has outsourced the fine part of all of this to euro parking collection that really doesn't fill me with faith that they are they're, they're going to be a wonderfully ethical company um and it's been uh sending out uh, sending out fines uh, all across uh, the eu um, for EULA's breaches. Uh, TFL has told The Guardian, here I'm quoting, that those who could demonstrate their vehicles were compliant would have their fines cancelled and they expected EPC to act reasonably over payments and appeals deadlines if PCNs were delayed in the post. Uh, supposedly, that's not necessarily been happening. Lots, lots more in this article. It's really quite interesting in a bad way. But uh, we'll link to the show notes. Uh, we'll link to the article in the show notes uh, as you would expect curious one next um this has ended up in the in the running order two weeks in a row so i didn't kill it this week uh devon and cornwall police are launching drones to monitor unsafe driving uh, the idea is that the drone will spot unsafe drivers or the drone operator will spot unsafe drivers uh, and will alert a police unit to, to, to have someone intercept the person who is doing poor driving and, uh, yeah, send it to a patrol to stop that vehicle and deal with them accordingly, according to Chief Inspector Ben Asprey. Uh, supposedly it can spot motorists from 3.7 miles away. Ah, it just seems a little bit weird, this one. Um, uh, you know, hovering drones on the off chance. Uh, of 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 catching people, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to target specific specific roads, um, perhaps uh, specific times of day, maybe possibly even specific times types of vehicle. Uh, this story is a little bit on the older side it's from 9th of April. Uh, so it said so it said uh, drones be focus- focused on mo- motorcycles across the Easter weekend. So I imagine that the um, I imagine that uh, popular biker roads. Uh, for example uh, will 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 have may well have drones uh, drones hovering above them um, and then they can relay that footage uh, down and the the, the you know, people who are stopped by the patrols can have the footage shown to them um, I'm sure that's all that will happen uh, let's just see it just seems a little bit a little bit a little bit strange to be perfectly honest it seems an awful lot of manpower park up a police car and that normally scares people into slowing down but hey what's the point in that when you've got something which is technological like a drone and is therefore better it seems goodness me i'm really channeling the spirit of andrew uh, this morning aren't i uh, one last uh story before guilt minute gloucestershire council uh, is to start installing uh 1000 charging points. Now this is a curious one because it's uh it's lots of people are in favor of this obviously. Uh lots of people are complaining uh, about it as well. So the plan really is to get 1000 electric vehicle charging points rolled out over the next 3 years. I're uh, going to start out uh with the first 30 areas which have been revealed uh, and they're going to include points in Cheltenham, Gloucester and Stroud. Uh, Some residents have raised concerns about the charging points taking up too much street parking space, Uh, but the idea really is that they're being positioned so that they're convenient for people who don't have off-street parking and don't have off-street charging ability. So yes, they are, are going to do that. BBC Radio Gloucestershire spoke to residents in Cheltenham about the plans. So if we did have an electric car, the points would not work for us in family life because the points would not be near enough to our house, our mother said. And another resident said, I think we need electric charging points and I'm happy we'd see a couple, but think having four and taking out what's currently six or seven spaces is going to be an issue. One or two per street or area would be much better. I think what's interesting here is that actually I imagine that by trying to put in more of them, then that does two, two effects. One is your future-proofing to an extent and the other one is by the fact that they're there, they should attract... Yeah, It is a little bit chicken and egg. They should hopefully attract people to say, well, actually, I could have an EV. Um, it works. I can charge it uh, in the street. Currently, the plans are as follows. Cheltenham is going to get 40 char- chargers spread across some ro- three roads. Gloucester, 20 chargers around the centre of the town, I believe. Stroud's going to get 16. Forrester of Dean is going to get 16 in Cinderford and Newent. Tewkesbury's going to get 16. Um, and then in the Cotswold, there's going to be some put in Sirencester in and some in Fairford High Streets. So let's see what happens. I think it's a really ambitious plan. Uh, I think it's what other councils are going to have to do as well uh, in time, uh, and hopefully in a relatively short time. And I think that it's something that... that that I don't want to do the whole people are just going to have to get used to it uh, because that makes me one of those tedious EV boys. Um, But I, I think this is some street furniture which we are going to have to get used to being there. Um, and I think that what, given, given the types of area of town that they're being put in, and I think that given the planned out future for new vehicles uh, in all of the countries, almost, all, uh, most developed countries, then I think they're going to have to be there. And I think we're all going to have to suck it up, um, says man who doesn't own or drive an electric vehicle. Uh, I think it's quite good. Just accessibility. Uh, the, the problem, of course, might well be people from outside the area charging, taking up the spaces. So that's, that's a little, that could be tricky. I think that's going to be the bit that, 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 that jars it is people just using those as parking spaces um, and blocking them up when residents could be using them for charging. You've got the other challenge. The parking garage here downstairs has has um, has low power charging points. Uh, and one of the challenges is, is just the time it takes. And by the time there's, you know, there's an EV6, a few Teslas, some other bits, often a Star down there. Um, they all take quite a while to charge at the sort of low charging speeds. Um, and I, I think it does sort of cause some aggro amongst people about they can't actually charge their car because other people are still charging their car. Or or people have charged their car uh, and haven't moved yet. So I can imagine that playing out in, in streets as well uh, in the future. But I think it's just something that we're going to have to get used to until we can magically... Uh, induction charge our cars from anywhere by just like pointing or something at it um, and i don't see that happening in the in in the nearish future uh, anyway it's guilt minute the quick break in the show where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep lights on the hosting running if you feel the motoring podcast worth small consideration every month then you can become a patron different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you including being able to watch the show recorded live we also have a small range of merchandise in our spring store from stickers to mugs and t-shirts if you don't have any spare cash, and we completely understand, then you can help us by following for free from our podcast player to receive every show as they're released. And I like your rating show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you. If you've done all that, and some of you do, so thank you very much, then the last thing you can do is to recommend us to a friend or colleague. There we go. Super quick and under a minute. Because I'm nice to you that way. Um couple of things in new new car news i'd really hope to have andrew to be able to chat through some of these but um but 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 he just he just doesn't up to it sadly um what did i want to talk about yes first one here on my little list uh some of the announcements from shanghai uh and and uh and new york as well i think so from new york i want to talk about lexus lm uh lexus has uh unveiled the next generation of its luxury mpv and they're talking about launching it in the uk uk version would have a hybrid um the two and a half liter um (laughs) self-charging hybrid setup uh so it'll be an lm350h um it's a well-known power pack uh it uses yeah it's a well-known power pack uh with a uh, that produces 246 brake horsepower, uh, 176 pounds of torque in has four-wheel drive, and they fit that essentially to an MPV. Now why I think this is interesting is that is that the, the sort of big luxuries, I think, uh, in the automotive world are quietness and space. And nothing gives you space like a decent MPV. And I think that the savvy, super rich, or the savvy people who need to get about the place in comfort and quickness and privacy um, would always have one of these smarter uh, smarter MPVs, smarter sort of van setups, rather than a saloon, which is hard to get in and out of. Uh, you're very much limited by form factor, in these situations uh these sort of mpv the, these sort of situations that an mpv makes far far more sense now this new lm has the latest iteration of, of of the lexus the lexus lexus grill of many teeth um but it's but it's quite a smart looking thing it's the kind of thing you could expect to see driving around uh, driving very quietly around uh city centers um I mean, this one is going to be available in two different versions, Um, one of which is a seven-seat, six or seven-seat. I've now lost the numbers. Uh, The other one is a four-seat iteration with two essentially airline-style seats in the back. Um, uh, When I say airline-style, I mean nice airline, business-class style, as opposed to, you know, easy jet, uh, like some of us use. Uh, So it's even going to be able to have a a glass privacy panel between the the driver and and the people in the rear. So this is really going to be um smart and subtle luxury. uh and and really really uh low key. Again, if you've got the version with more seats, you don't get the privacy glass or anything. You do actually have have space for four seating. But this is taking Taking that sort of um, to to the nth degree, I think it's going to be very interesting to see it sell in the UK. I mean, this has been it's been on sale since 2002 in China, Russia, the Middle East. I imagine it's been on sale in Thailand, for example, where this kind of van is very popular. Um, but here, it's expect here or or in the UK, it's expected to go up against the Mercedes uh, V-Class, which currently sells for about just under seventy thousand pounds in the UK. So I wouldn't be surprised if the pricing was somewhere in that bracket. Um, but yes, kind of cool. Uh, let's see. I'm really interested to see what this is like. So, uh, so yeah. yeah I, I think it's just such a cool idea. Uh, Andrew would disagree with me because he just hates the idea of an MPV, which... I don't know. I don't get it. I actually just... I love them for the idea of the practicality and all these other things. But what do I get? I, I see it as a lifestyle vehicle. Like in the... um, a, As it would be advertised as opposed to... As opposed to, to sort of way of hauling kids around and keeping their sticky sweeties in the back and nowhere near you and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know. I don't see it as giving up like some people do. Um, What else... New Polestar Four again. People are chatting about this one because it has no rear window um, to make it safer. Uh, the idea being, is the Polestar Four has a bit of a sort of SUV coupe type line, but it without actually looking too tall in the side. Um, and the idea is that it uh, it increases headroom for rear passengers, uh, and I can understand why because if you push that push that crossbeam back from where it would have been above the rear window, then the window gets shallower and shallower and shallower. Uh, but it also means that the space in front of that for people's heads, um, rear passengers' heads and stuff, so you can actually brace uh, a bit better down the back. Um, it has a rear-mounted camera instead. It has wing mirrors, as you would expect. I, some people find this strange. I mean, let's... let's it's it sits between size wise it sits between the two and the three so the Polestar three uh, is forthcoming it's, a, it's quite big um, and and it looks a bit like a cross between the two of them. In most cars these days, by the time you've got by the time you've got the rear passenger three rear passenger headrests across the middle, uh, and the quite small rear window that is the result of a rising belt line, you can't really see out the back window anyway, so I don't know why people complain about it. Not just that, most vans don't have back windows either. As long as you've got decent mirrors, then it does. Then it's not really a problem. This will also have one of the camera-style rear view mirrors now. They are a bit love-hate. I think that they give a great view out the back. But when you drive with one for a little while, it's very difficult to refocus. Um, Your eyes have to do more work, bizarrely, because whenever you're looking at a windscreen, you look in a rearview mirror, then in actual fact, the, the distance you're focusing on isn't just on the mirror. It's on whatever it is that's reflected in the mirror. So it's still quite a long distance. And that's why you can flick between... You know, if, if you ever look in your rear view mirror you can flick between the road and the rear view mirror and the road and the rear view mirror and, and you don't really notice your, your eyes doing very much work when it's a screen you have to focus on the screen so you're moving from something maybe 2 feet away to something 40 feet away to 2 feet and 40 feet and that's quite a lot of work on your eyes and that's the thing that, that actually can be it makes it uncomfortable uh, I think if you're not used to it because your eyes are expecting to focus a long way away and they're quite close um so that's one of the reasons people don't really like those mirrors very much uh but if you do if you're used to them then they're really really good um and you know they can actually get cleaner than the view at the back and all these things and much much clearer because you don't have passengers heads in the way and headrests in the way and all sorts of stuff so um so so yeah so I don't have a problem with that I don't I understand why people do from a psychological point of view, but I think from a functionality point of view, it probably works better than having a mirror, uh, a window these days, which is seems a little bit nuts. Uh, changing tax slightly, Polestar Four is going to be Polestar's fastest production car to date. Uh, you'll be dual and single motor versions, with single motor version fitted with rear wheel drive. Most powerful version, which will be a long range, long range dual motor. Uh, provides four, 544 horsepower from a, from its motors, um, and that'll mean you can get from 0 to 60 in just 3.8 seconds. So you'll be able to um, you know, drive through that wall far more quickly. Um, hasn't cha- shared range targets. Uh, the long-range single motor is expected to be over 300 miles. Experience with similar drivetrain in the Volvo. Uh, equivalent to Volvo... XC40 uh means that there will probably be a significant uh a significant uh penalty for um for not for having for wanting all that that performance. Um Aim is that production will be started this year plans to commence production in China in November or then launch in the US in 2024 with a target price of around $60,000 which isn't too bad. Uh so let's move into points of interest now. A uh, couple of stories this week. Uh lunchtime read um is is a cracker. It's from The Autopian. Uh it's by Adrian Clark who's an automotive designer and they are and he's talking about the Mini right from Gonis. Uh mini right the way through uh and the evolution to the current, only just kind of revealed after some people saw some spy shots uh version with its its funny rear light. Really interesting read. Uh we know that people are interested in automotive design. Uh I know that I am, so hence one of the reasons we're including it. Um and just yes. Uh, and he says that as 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 an owner of, of, of minis of a number of different generations. Uh, so yes, worth a worth a read, worth a worth a few minutes of your time uh, on that one. I think it's a really good article, um, and and really very interesting. So um, and you know, it's not all filled with praise, but it's not all filled with criticism either. Uh, for any uh, for any generation, really. So it's, it's a nice balanced piece, I think. Uh, A list of the week this week is uh, an Anthony Ingram one uh, from Haggerty, as ever. Uh, They seem to be the home of good lists right at the minute. Uh, And it's 12 classic beach cars that make every day a holiday. Uh, Obviously, there's a list of 12. They're very cool. Um, I guess I should choose one. There's lots I hadn't heard of. But the one I'm going to go with is the one that pretty much everyone has heard of. Uh, which is the Citroen Mahari, because I just think it's so cool. I would adore one. They just look so great uh, in, in you know, I was going to say in the right circumstances. That means when it's not raining or snowing, um, they do look so great, especially when you see them by the beach uh, in, in the south of France. They're so cool. I I would, uh, whatever flavor of lottery garage, someone, uh, people trying to make me pick, there's always a Mahari in there. Uh, it's it has, uh, it has it always has a reserved special place uh, in in any fantasy garage I, I I create. And one day I hope it'll be in a real one uh, because I do think they are super cool. So my pick from that is Shumahari. Loads of others you could choose. Um, very cool, great list, nice one, uh, and we're worth six minutes of your time. Uh, and finally this week, kind of short on interesting and finallys right at the minute, but and finally this week is Pizza Museum is showing the coolest classic Porsches uh, to mark Porsches 75 years in making road cars. Um, it's organized an exhibit of their most interesting cars dating back to the very beginning. Have a read. Anyway, that rounds us up this week uh before the banging gets too much worse. Uh no particular parish notes uh, other than thank you all for your support. I do we do I particularly appreciate it whenever it's it's all a little bit hectic and uh and for reasons out with any of our control it becomes a little bit a little bit more uh than normal to 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 try to run the podcast. Um it's been great, uh, so, so thank you very, very much. Uh, Andrew is actually alive, by the way. Um, and I'm sure I'll get critiqued for saying that he was almost anything but, or even by confessing to the fact that he is alive. It's quite possible I'll get told off for that, too. Um, hopefully back next week. Uh, let's just see. Fingers crossed. Um, he, has, he has been a poorly little soul. Um, uh, but, but it's not the plague, and, and he's not dead yet. So there is still hope. That said, don't forget that between now and next week you can give us any feedback and share your thoughts with the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Remember, you can support us financially via Patreon and please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. To get in touch with me, it's best to use Twitter. You can use Mastodon where I'm at AJPBradley, that's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. Uh, to get in touch with Andrew, search for correct Windscreen on Twitter or Mastodon. Uh, and uh, he will doubtless uh, see see your comments. We'll be back very soon. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. In his absence, he's been Andrew Clues, and safe motoring.